Well, good morning. You guys feeling good today? Feeling good? Through the yellow haze? Isn't there a song about that? It was all yellow. It was written about the South. Um, glad you guys are here. Hey, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Trent. I have the unbelievable, unbelievable privilege of being the lead pastor here at MCC. If it is your very first time, man, you can take your phone and snap a picture of that little QR code back there. And I'd love to meet you back there in the back. We get to know you a little bit. We got a little gift our way of saying welcome home. And um, today is a special day kind of in, in church calendars. Today is, is commonly referred to as Palm Sunday. This is Sunday where Jesus rode into town had people lay down their outer garments, people lay down palm branches, and they shout out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. It was their way of worshiping and adoring him. And I just want to say thank you, church, uh, for, for doing that already, for standing up, for proclaiming Jesus. Uh, thank you to our team for leading us in that. Um, today is, is what starts this thing called Holy Week. And this is the week that we lean into what happens in the seven days leading up to Easter Sunday. And what we know through this Holy Week story is that, man, a lot can happen in seven days. Because people, the same people who were shouting Hosanna and were trying to make Jesus king, the next seven days later are going, crucify, crucify. And so what we see is that a lot can happen in seven days. And so we want to work together and walk together as a church to prepare our hearts, minds, souls, and lives, and maybe even our neighborhoods, workplaces, and places we have some fun for Easter. And so today we're going to dive in to some aspects of this Palm Sunday story. And then what I'm inviting us into is um, to engage throughout the week online, where there's some videos that we're going to be putting out as a church to be able to walk through, okay, well, what did Jesus do on Monday? We know what happened on Palm Sunday, but there was some time that happened between here. So we're going to walk through what happened Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We're going to talk about what happened on Thursday. And then we're going to gather together in this room and do something that maybe we haven't done in a really long time at MCC. And we're going to actually have a Good Friday service where we're going to lean into the cross See what Jesus did on the cross. See what he went through on the cross. See the significance of the cross and see the role that you and I played in the cross and then celebrate communion together. And so I invite you to that. It's going to be in here, 7 p.m. this Friday. Uh, For those of you who are maybe asking the question, uh, will there be children's ministry stuff going on for that service? Um, No, there won't. Um, So you either plan accordingly or you bring them in. I will warn you, though, we're going to the cross. And so you, you may be on one or two sides. You may like, my kid's not ready for that. Or you may need to go, my kid's ready for that. Because they need to know that Jesus wasn't just a cartoon figure who, you know, walked on water, pet sheep, that he actually went to a cross. And so that's what you got to walk through and figure out. And we're going to talk about, um, again, this is kind of our online stuff that we're going to be putting out there so that you may be in your own devotional and quiet time. We're going to talk about what happened on Saturday, what's commonly referred to as Black Saturday. And then we're going to show up and we're going to celebrate Easter Sunday because he's risen. And it's going to be awesome. And here's what I want you guys to do. Remember, um, I don't have mine anymore because it flew away somehow. Um, On your seats, that thing that's poking you in the butt is an Easter invite. And that's not for you. That's for you to take out and just like as you're at Target, just kind of like slip in some lady's purse as you're going by. If you're you're an introvert, just slide that thing in there, you know. But if you're an extrovert, go start a conversation, put it in a neighbor's mailbox. This is an invite for you to be able to go out and give to the people around you where you live, work, and play to invite them to come in and be a part of that. All right, so that's kind of what we got going on for Holy Week. Remember, Easter service. We've got three ways to go. Uh, you can go online. Online will start at 11. You can come to the 915. Remember, the 915 is a mass-required service, so you got to wear your mask when you come in. Uh, you can take it off when you sit down, and when you head out, you got to wear that. So if you're inviting people and they're going, well, what are they doing? Well, you can, if, if that's what they're after, 
Again, that's some of the reason why we did it. And the 11 o'clock, it's mass recommended. I'm going to go ahead and forewarn you. <clears throat> um, how, many here, how many of you here last week? Anybody here in this service last week? Yeah, it was kind of crowded, right? Uh, online service, like it was crowded. Like you picked a good day not to come. Because um, we, we, we ran out of room for you. Um, here's what I can go ahead and tell you for Easter Sunday here in person. Um, be prepared. Get here early. If you're bringing people with you, try to get here early. You know, we're going to do our best to keep this room as, as, as safe as possible. But I, I'm going to go ahead and just be out here, be honest and be transparent so that nobody's expectations are off. Um, there's a high likelihood that all of our seating for that 11 o'clock service is not going to be six foot apart. And that's just because we want to get as many people in to experience the celebration that Easter is going to be. All right, cool. That's enough of all that stuff. Uh, can't wait to do all that with you guys next week and connect with you guys throughout this week. So let's pray and dive into what God has for us today. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for who you are and what you're doing in and through your bride, McDonough Christian Church. Father, let us be a church that makes our city more like the kingdom of God. Let Henry County be a place that is really, really hard to go to hell because of the way your people love and make much of you, Jesus. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So we've been in this series called Bless, and we've been walking through this series talking about, okay, if we are people who are people who follow Jesus, how do we live lives that are actually a blessing to other people? In regards to if you are a follower of Jesus or you're not a follower of Jesus, we all can say we actually are pretty blessed. And out of that blessing, God calls us to be a blessing to other people. And what we all kind of, kind of rallied around this idea is that, man, a lot of us want to live out and make disciples. And we want to be a part of a church that makes disciples. But oftentimes, instead of just actually doing that, we just hope it gets done. And so we're trying to move from hoping people get discipled to actually helping getting discipled. And that is where we all come into play. And this blessed strategy has been able to figure out, okay, how do we as God's people live out of the blessing that God has given us, and then go be a blessing to the people around us where we live, work, and play. And so we've been walking through this strategy to be able to help that happen so that you no longer have the excuse to go, I want to make disciples, but I don't know how. This is us kind of learning how. So we walked through week one. You guys bless me in this moment and, and help me remember what these are. Okay, B, what do we say? What's the B stand for? Begin with prayer. Make you comments online, people. You beat these in-person people to the punch. Uh, B is begin with prayer. Remember, this whole discipling thing, this whole salvation thing is something that a human cannot do. And so we can't think out of our own energy and effort that we can do something that is humanly impossible. So we've got to get an outside resource in and that outside resource is Jesus. So we go to Jesus in prayer to know how to make that happen. The L. Anybody remember? There we go. Listen. Yes, you were listening. Way to go. E. We talked about this last week. Everybody's favorite one, eat. Um, hopefully this past week you had lunch with somebody, you had dinner with somebody, shared a cup of coffee with somebody, uh, and you began to eat with them because it's at the table that Jesus says you're in my circle today we're going to be talking about the first S in this blessed strategy for kind of the fourth step in the strategy and that is to serve serve so we begin with prayer we listen we eat and then we serve if we want to make disciples of people if we want to bless people where we live work and play we begin with prayer we listen to them we eat with them and then man we've got to actually serve them we've got to do something the task-oriented people in the room are like, yes, I finally get to actually do something. We get to serve with people. Now, serving is all over the place. And we've seen the church do bad at serving, and we've seen the church do good at serving. Oftentimes, you know, we, we get this uh, connotation that oftentimes when people are serving, they're serving with what's in it for me. 
Like, okay, well, I want to do this. I want to serve. Well, what's going to happen if I do this? And what's the benefit of doing this? We want the return on the investment. And what I'm going to hopefully unpack today is that that's the wrong way to look at serving. We don't go serve. We don't go to Haiti so that we can get selfies. You know, unless a lot of times that's where people are at. Or we don't go downtown to serve people so that we can post on social media that we went downtown to serve people. We serve people because Jesus has served us. We're going to dive into a story where we see how Jesus loves, cares, and serves people and how counter and how upside down his way of doing things were. What type of king, what type of savior, what type of Lord he actually is. So if you've got a Bible, go to the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you don't got a Bible, that's okay. If you want a Bible, there are some really nice ones at Lost and Found. If you... Uh, <laughs> If you, uh, you know, you, you know, obviously you're not going to get up and go right now. It'll be on the screens right here. So let's dive in. Again, we're in John chapter 13 is where we'll start. So to give you a little bit of context of what's going on up into this point. At John 13, Jesus has been living out his earthly ministry. He's been walking around, teaching, preaching, building up a following. And it's kind of hit this fever pitch where now people... The religious leaders are wanting him dead. Even his closest followers, they feel the tension and they know like something's got to give here. And it comes up to this point where they're getting ready to have this Passover feast. And this has been almost like kind of like the, the past way of like equivalent of Thanksgiving. So everybody's in town for this big giant festival. People are going to, gathering in together. And Jerusalem is kind of like the hub of all the religiosity that's going on there. Hub for all of, of Jewish religion. And so they're all there in that place. And Jesus, remember, he's Jewish. His disciples are Jewish. And so this is a festival in the Passover feast that they're celebrating together. But Jesus is about to flip all of that on his head and completely not change, but fulfill the religion that was Judaism. And this is the context that we find ourselves in in John. Let's read it together. John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. And Jesus knew... Underline that. Jesus knew. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Sidebar. Jesus is going to love you to the end. And that's an amen point, like right there. Like that's a good news, guys. Like Jesus is going to love you to the end. The end of whatever it is. To the end of your addiction, to the end of your marriage, to the end of this life. Jesus, like, I could just pause and camp out on that second. Like Jesus isn't just going to love his disciples to the end of their life. He wasn't just going to love them to the end of his life before he went to heaven. Jesus loves us to the end. Even those of us who turn around and are continually running from them. He loves you to the end of your running. To those who have surrendered to him, he loves you to the end of your surrender. He loves to the end. I love those few words right there. Verse 2. So the evening was in progress. And so there's, they're, they're setting up this meal. There's a lot of fanfare into it. It's, 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 again, it's tradition. It's religion. And all of these guys would have every year of their life up until this point celebrated this meal with their families. In this moment, they're surrounded by their little group. They're 12 plus Jesus. So the evening meal was in progress. That's a Passover meal. And the devil, in any good story, there's always evil. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Verse 3, again, underline these two words. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. 
So what I want to walk you through today, if God is calling us to be people who bless those around us because He has blessed us, and part of that strategy is we actually serve people, I want to walk you through, through this passage, the seven ways I see Jesus serve. So if you're taking notes, you can write that down. The seven ways to serve like Jesus, we find them right here laid out in plain sight in this passage, and we're going to walk through. And the first one is if we want to serve like Jesus, we have to do what Jesus did here right at the beginning. We have to know. We have to know. See, what we see Jesus here in these two passages, it says, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave and to go to the Father. What that means is he knew that there was a sense of urgency. They're like, if I'm going to serve and I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to care for these people, I've got to know that my time is now. And friends, what I'm telling you right now in a world that's broken, messed up, jacked up, more divided than ever, the time is now. You've got to know that there's a call in your life as a follower of Christ. There's a call in your life to do something greater than maybe you've ever done before. He knew. And then again in verse 3, it says, He knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. So two main things that stand out here that He knew. He knew who He was and He knew what He had. He knew who He was and He knew what He had. So in regards to going and serving, that's where it all starts for us too. Our identity and knowing who we are. Who, Who am I in Christ? See, because Jesus understood that Yes, I am God. But unlike any other God that had ever existed in the pantheon of all gods that had ever existed, He knew that I wasn't like any of those other gods. That all existed for people, for for creation, to serve me. He knew that I was the type of God who would serve others, that would serve people. So when you know what to do, the reality is, it starts with knowing who you are. In our lives, and most of you guys, like a lot of the big questions that you're asking right now, are not the questions around identity. They're the questions around, what do I do? They're the questions around, why do I take this job or not? Or do I ask them to marry me or not? Or do I, you know, put the kid in this school or not? Do I do virtual or not? Do I, you know, do I invite that person? We're asking all these questions around, what do we do? Around big life decisions. Do I invest here? Do we move here? Do we go this? A lot of our lives are consumed with asking what questions instead of asking who questions. Well, what I see here in this passage and I've seen over and over again in my life and the people that, that I've seen Jesus use in big ways, they're not people who start out by going, what do I need to do? They start out by going, who am I? Because before we focus on what we want to do, we have to figure out who we want to become. And you have to really ask your que- yourself the question, do I really want to become Jesus here in Henry County or wherever you're watching this? Do I really want to be Jesus in my neighborhood? Do I really want to be Jesus at work? Do I really want to be Jesus on this little league team? Do I really want to be Jesus in this marriage? Because once you figure that out, then you know what to do in all those places. But you've got to figure out that's what you want to be. And that's where Jesus is. He says he knew. And because he knew these things, he's getting ready to do what he, is, he actually does in this passage. Look at verse 2. Our, our verse, uh, we'll keep going. Um, verse 4. So because he knows what he knows, verse 4. He got up. Underline those two words. So many of how we serve like Jesus, they're in this short little passage. There's so much here in verse 4. He got up, underline that, from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and he wrapped the towel around his waist. There's three moves in serving like Jesus. They're all in that verse. Get up, took off, and wrapped. So the second thing, if we want to serve like Jesus, serve the people around us like Jesus, serve our spouses like Jesus, serve our kids like Jesus, is we have to rise up. 
Now put yourself in the scene. They're coming in. They're getting ready to have this meal. Everybody's in the room. And there would have been something that was supposed to already have happened. As they're getting ready and prepping for this, remember, these are all people who live in the Middle East. These are all people who don't have Nikes or Doc Martens or, I don't know, Michael Kors. Like, these are people who live and breathe off of open-toed flippy flops. Like, that's their life. Sandal life. That's why when you, when you see people walking around now and they have Birkenstocks on, you go, cool Jesus shoes. That's where it came from because those are the shoes Jesus wore. And so they're there. And again, in societies like this, when you would wear shoes like this, your feet would obviously get dirty and nasty and disgusting. And one of the things they also didn't have during this period of time were these things called toenail clippers. Which, by the way, um, spring is here, so make sure you file them things down. Um, <laughs> you can either have fingernails or you can have talons. So make sure. I'm talking to men, too. Like, I, I took my shoes and my socks off the other day. And I was like, oh, man, hello. I haven't seen you guys all, all winter. Good to see you. Um, so they didn't have those. And also, if you've been to a third world country, you've realized this. Um, where do they throw the trash? Trash is just thrown on the, along the streets, in the ditches along the streets. And so oftentimes, there may be overflow. And so this is the feet that are there. And, and as you're getting ready to come into this meal, one of the things that would happen is as you would enter into the house, one of the servants or the slaves would come in and they would actually wash the people who were getting ready to celebrate this meal together. They would wash their feet because that's just what you do when you enter into a house. Now, if you know anything about this story, Jesus has got an upper room reserved that kind of gives this idea that this is not necessarily someone's place of living. This is this room that may have just been like this room in the town that not, not was, wasn't necessarily someone's home. And so with that, it's him setting up the reality that there is no slave and there is no servant. And he's doing that on purpose because he's showing them that he is becoming that to them because that's the type of God he is. And so in this moment, he knows who he is. He gets up from, the, from where they're at. Now, again, they don't really have tables. They may have a, like a really low table, but most of the time they were sitting on the ground, and that's where we would do these meals from. So Jesus gets up. Now, he gets up, and he begins to do something that everybody in the circle had already been going, well, who's doing that? Who's washing our feet? Like, that has to happen. That's a big deal. Somebody's got to do it. And so imagine, you know, Bartholomew, and he's sitting over there, and he's like, man, I ain't washing my feet. Like, that's, that's below me. Like, I'm, Jesus, like, I, when, when we walk in line, like, I'm fourth in line. Like, like let the guy who's last do that. And, and, and they're all going around, and everybody's thinking, uh, yeah, so this meal's not official unless someone washes our feet. But none of them step up. So they see Jesus get up. And some of them are going, no, nah, he's just going to, like, the bathroom or something. Like, he's just, you know, whatever. But Jesus gets up. He gets up. And I want you to understand why he gets up. Because the reason why a lot of times we don't get up. He got up because of step one. He got up because he knew who he was. And he knew what he already had. He knew, unlike the other guys in the room, that if they were the one who served people, if they were the one who washed people's feet, then they had all the honor in the world to lose. Then their status of being the coolest disciple would go way down. But Jesus has nothing to lose. He knows who he is. He knows where he's from. He knows where he's going. He says, because I know all these things, I'll get up. I'll take the lead. I'll show you what it means to be the one who does the job that only the lowest of the low, the slave, would do. He gets up. And so my question for you 
in regards to us rising up is what's stopping us. See, Jesus in Mark 10.45, he, he, he busts onto the scene and he kind of lets everybody know his identity and his role. In Mark 10.45, he says, for the Son of Man, that's who he is. And again, he used that term, Son of Man, as his way of saying, I'm not just God up here. I'm also not just the Son of God, I'm also a Son of Man. And I'm one of you. I'm a God with skin on, with flesh in the game. He said, the Son of Man, that's who I am. I did not come to be served. Which again, that's absolutely 100% counter to every God who had ever existed up until that point and every God that exists right now for every world religion. Every one of those gods, Buddha, Allah, any other world religion that you can go and make up, Oprah Winifrey, whatever it is, science, whatever, all of those exist for you to serve whatever the other higher power is. So it's audacious and scandalous that there is a God out there who says, no, I've seen how that goes. And there's no amount of service creation could ever give to Creator that would ever satisfy. And so what Creator does is He goes and serves creation because He knows who He is. He says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Not only that, to give my life as a ransom for many. So what's stopping you from getting up? Oftentimes I think what stops us from like taking that step to go serve people is we don't know how it all the way turn out. And so like we get the little cue to maybe go buy that person lunch or to ask that person this or to cut that neighbor's grass. And because we don't know what will happen, like I, 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 this is the excuse I used. Uh, there was a person in my neighborhood, like the actual like exact neighbor to our house. And um, I hope maybe he's watching this online. I don't know. Um, uh, forgive me. I'm sorry, neighbor, if, if you are like covertly watching this and I don't know that you're, you're checking in on us. Um, his grass is just way too long and it frustrates me because it's one of those things where like seriously, um, like our grass, his grass. And so, and there's a visible difference, there's visible weeds. And, and so like I, for some reason, like I, I grew up in a house that was like that. And so like, I don't want to have a house now as an adult that's like that. But there's a part of me that goes, man, I want to cut his grass. Like that'd be the nice, that'd be the Christian thing to do. But then like the thing that talks me out of that is the fear of going, I don't know how that will go. Like, I don't know if he's going to show up and go like, how dare you step on my property and do this. And what, you know, like I, I put myself in that prideful situation, like, like uh, Chuck Rutledge is one of my good friends and he lives in our neighborhood now. Like if he comes down, and he's cutting my grass. I'm going, like, bro, 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 hey, hey, hey. First of all, you didn't do it the way I like it, where it's like down and back and down and back. You went this way and I don't like that. I'm the only one, right? Okay, good. And, and there's that pride that gets in. And so many times because we don't know how it's going to go, we don't do what we know we need to do. But what Jesus is saying here is that doesn't matter. Get up, rise up, and go. Because if what you don't know keeps you from going, then friend, what also is happening is what you don't know is keeping you from growing. At the end of the day, if you want to grow in your faith, serve somebody. You can read your Bible seven days a week. You can, and again, maybe I should tell you this as a pastor. Definitely read your Bible. Definitely pray. But you can do that all day, all night. If you don't actually put rubber to the road and go serve people, roll up your sleeves and get down and actually serve people the way Jesus did, friend, you're not going to grow. You're not. Just watch it happen. If you want to hear Jesus become more real to you, go serve as real people. If you want to show uh, a visible world that an invisible God exists, go love his visible children the way he has loved you. And believe me, he'll be more real than he ever has been before. But we've got to get up. 
You've got to get up from the table. Next thing we see is right there in verse 4 as well. It says he got up, okay? So he knows, he gets up. Number three, if we want to serve like Jesus, we see that he took off his outer clothing. He took off. So how do we serve like Jesus? We take off. Now, in this story, Jesus is not just taking off an outer robe and an outer garment. Which, And again, this passage is so crazy to think about in the context of Holy Week and the triumphal entry. Because remember, at triumphal entry, Jesus is on the back of a donkey. And he comes in, and people are laying down what? Not just palm branches. What are they also laying down? Outer garments. So Jesus is in a, in a, coming in through the main street in Jerusalem, and people are going bonkers. Hosanna! Hosanna on the highest! They're worshiping and adoring him. Jesus, you know, the, the people say, hey, well, you better tell your guys to be quiet. And Jesus says, listen, if they don't cry out, the rocks will cry out. That's how amped everybody is right now, that even rocks are getting after it. And they want to make him king. They're laying these things down. And what we see, contrast that with what we see happening in this room. Now Jesus is out of the crowd. The crowd that just laid down their outer garments and said, you're a king, we want you to be our king, we want you to overthrow the Roman government. Jesus gets in the room with his closest group of people and he essentially says, I want to show you what type of king I am. You see, all those people, they were laying down their outer garments to try to worship me, but I'm the type of king who takes off my outer garment and I lay that down. I'm going to lay that down to serve you because I'm a king like any other king. And so my question is, what maybe do you need to take off in order to serve the people around you, where you live, where you work, where you play? I would say probably the main thing that we need to take off if we can actually serve people is that we've got to take off the excuses that are rooted in pride. Because we got excuses. But maybe we never realize this. We exceed the excuse as a fruit, but pride is the root of the excuse. To say, well, I don't have time. Well, how important are you that you can't make time to serve somebody? Again, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to myself. I'm, this, is, this is my inner dialogue this week as I've tried to pray and confess and not be a hypocrite who stands before you and teaches this message. Well, well I don't have enough money. Okay, are you sure? You've bought some things that have served you. Well, I don't know how it would go. So, I'll take care of that. That's not up to you. See, we all have things that we need to take off. And see, this was the moment in the room where Jesus got up. Okay, and they're like, okay, he's got up. But the moment they see him begin to take things off, their mind is going, oh no. And they know they're in trouble. They know that nobody stepped up. They know that as he's taking off his outer garment, he's not just hot. He's getting ready to, from there, wrap a towel around his waist and do the thing that only the lowest servant, slave, detestable human being would do. And he's doing that to them. And so we see that not only does he, step three, take something off, he, step four, he puts something on. Look at where it says in the verse. He takes up a towel. He wrapped a towel around his waist. Now, in this moment, you got to understand that so much is happening in this scene that we don't understand because we live in a different culture than they lived in. See, their culture was an honor and shame culture. And what's happening in this 
as Jesus begins to take off his outer garment, which is laying himself vulnerable, then being able to see who he really is, and then putting on this towel, is Jesus, this man, who not just to his disciples, obviously they loved him, they respected him, he was their rabbi, but even to the people, the religious leaders, when they came and they would question him, they would still call him rabbi. Like he had already gained some esteem, he had already taught, and they looked at him as a rabbi. So in that culture, that meant that his honor score was way up here. That he was somebody that when you're around this person, you expect to serve them. You expect to make sure their needs are met. They are at like celebrity plus status. And so the equivalent of what's happening here would be like if LeBron James came to my house and he shows up. He says, listen, Trent, he knocks on the door and it's just him. And he says, listen, Trent, I know... I've heard you say publicly that you think Michael Jordan is the goat, but I want to I eat with you at your house. And I'm like, man, thank you, LeBron. I'm so glad you're here. Um, can you do a couple laps around the neighborhood so that we can like, make sure things are good and taken care of so that we can really just you know, have it like, you know, go, I don't know, somewhere, go to the reservoir. I don't know, go to Jackson. You'll have really a lot of fun there. Um, and he comes back and we got the house prepared. Jessica made tacos because everybody knows LeBron likes tacos. And so it's there, it's set up. We feel like we've got everything in order to be able to serve this person like, whose little nickname is King James. And he comes into our house and he eats. And he, dinner's going good, good conversation, talking about stuff. He pushes back from the table. And uh, at my house, we have this uh, half bath, like guest bathroom downstairs. And it's the type of bathroom like when small group happens at our house, like people turn the water on and stuff because it's one of those bathrooms that like, let's just be honest, if you're going, people know it. Um, <laughs> It's just one of those houses. So it's that close to everything that you know what's happening in there. Like you can put two and two together. And so um, we, we get in there and, and we hear LeBron get up and go into that bathroom. And then instead of hearing the water turn on, we hear the, the seat go up. And then we hear uh, the, the cabinet under the sink. We hear that open up and we hear some ruffling around and everything else. And then, and then we hear what sounds like the, the, the 409 or the whatever bleach stuff Jessica has under the counter, that come out. And, and we start hearing it spraying. We just hear it. And we just hear it a little bit. You don't hear anything for a while. And you hear and You hear a little bit. And Jessica's super concerned. So she gets up and she walks, she walks in and says, um, uh, Dear uh, Mr., Mr. James, LeBron, um, is everything okay in there? And LeBron cracks the door open and, and, and kind of peeks his head out of the door and says, it's all right, Miss Shoemake. I saw some pee on the seat, and I got two boys. I know what it's like, and so I saw some pee on here on the seat. And so, listen, I know like I'm your guest, but I, listen, I want to help you out. And so I was just going to clean some of this pee. It was kind of on the bottom part. You know, we got the seat, but you didn't get the underside thing. And so I just wanted to get this, get a, get a deep clean. I like to leave things better than I found them, except for Ohio. And um, <laughs> sorry, LeBron, if you're watching this. I don't know why you would be watching this, but sorry. Um, like Jessica would probably faint that this celebrity, this uh, world's most popular athlete, one of the most influential people in the entire world, despite whatever your opinions about LeBron are, that he is in our home cleaning our toilet. We wanted to him to be our honored guest, and he's cleaning my children's urine off of the seat. And I say that because I never miss. <laughs> Sorry, that's a lie. Um, we shouldn't talk about these things. Church should be fun. Sorry. And so that's, that's, that's happening. And what's happening here is Jesus puts on this towel. It's the same moment where everybody in the room is going, no way. 
that should, this should never be happening. You're supposed to be the guest. Everything in this environment should be to serve you, and you're serving us. And so we go from here. We see Jesus put on that, and then we see step five, and how do we serve like Jesus begin? We see it in verse five. It says, after that, he put water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So he gets up, he puts it on, and he goes and pours. And in that pouring of the water out, that's his beginning to prep, to prep for this. And for you, if you're going to go serve people, you know you've got to put something on. And that thing, the main thing that you need to put on is the humility to say, listen, my God died on a cross for you so I can roll up my sleeves, I can put on some work gloves, I can put on an apron, I can do whatever. I've got to put something on, I'm going to go and serve you. But listen, some of whether or not your act of service to them will go over well or go over as a fail depends on how you prepare. And friend, the first step in you preparing, like we've already talked about, is prayer. So you've got that thing. And maybe it's something that comes up in a moment where it's like this random prompting where I need to go like serve this person by buying them lunch or I need to serve this person by cutting their grass. Pray, Jesus, please don't let the neighbor um, snipe me uh, from the bedroom window uh, because I cut his grass. Please don't let them freak out. Just let them be uh, receptive of this. Jesus, please let this meal that I'm cooking to take to this person who just you know, gave birth to quintuplets, like, let this be something they enjoy and there's enough food for all of those humans. Jesus, Pray it out. And then once you get past the part of prayer, then it's actually preparing to do it. And again, hear me on this. Christians, I think we, we stink at this sometimes. And, and honestly, sometimes I think the world kicks our butt at this. Serve with excellence. Like be creative. And again, this is why you begin with prayer and you listen to him. You pick up on those small little things. They're like, man, for some reason, like he talked about how he loves Charleston chews. And not every, even though everybody else thinks those things are gross, like that's a random candy that he sand, said he liked. And so I'm going to try to serve him by, by going above and beyond with excellence and getting that one from Scoops that's like this big and saying, here you go, bro. That's how we as a church show that we have an excellent God who loves excellently. Is that when we serve people... We actually do it with some excellence. We do it like we actually plan to do it. We don't do it sloppily. You don't go cut half of their yard and say, I got, you know, I had stuff to do, and then come back later. You serve with excellence. That's how we prepare. And the next step <laughs> goes without saying, but this is where a lot of people fail, is you can do one through all the other ones. But if you don't actually serve them, you failed. <laughs> it doesn't matter. If you didn't actually get to the place where you do like Jesus did, again, right there in verse 5, he actually began to wash. So step six in this whole process, how do we serve like Jesus? You actually serve. You actually do it. You put rubber to the road. You get down on your knees. And remember, Jesus is not just washing their hands. He's washing the dirtiest, filthiest part of them. And maybe, you don't, maybe you're not connecting these dots. Everyone in this room you have that deep, dark, dirty secret. That spot of you that you really wonder, like, I know Jesus cleansed that, I know he's cleansed that, I know he's cleansed that, but, man, this one's hard to believe he's cleansing this. We all have that. And that's not just a Christian thing. Everybody has that. It, the people who don't know Jesus, where you live, work, and play, they also have that thing, that dirtiest part of them, that dirty part of their past, that dirty part of their life right now. Everybody has that filthy part. And maybe you're not connecting these dots, but by the way we serve people and help them and, and do those things for them, it's the beginning of the process of Jesus cleansing the dirtiest parts of their life so that they can be found, that they can have a relationship with him. And it starts with us doing simple acts of kindness. And, and, and here's what I love about serving people. 
When we serve, Jesus changes lives. And oftentimes, our lives are the first ones to actually change. And that's why I'm encouraging us, man, we got to get off our butts and actually roll the sleeves up and actually serve the people. And it's so scandalous, guys. And I, I was riding in this morning just, just asking God to help me with this point. Because a lot of churches take this way off base. And it's a really dangerous thing for a pastor to stand in a pulpit and say that we have a God who exists to serve us. Like if you follow Jesus for a little while, you know how dangerous of a thing that is to say. To say, well, okay, well, God serves me, so I should have be blessed with this house, this car, this money, this amount of whatever. It's dangerous to say that we have a God who exists to serve us. And Jesus knew how dangerous that was too, but he still said it. And it's so counter to every God who ever exists. And what I want you to know is that, friend, you still have a God who longs to serve you. In the same way that Jesus was there teaching his disciples, he's still teaching you. In the same way that Jesus prepared the food so that they would have stuff to eat, he's still doing that to us. In the same way that he washed their feet, he's still washing ours. And not only that, he does that to believers, he does that to unbelievers. Because in this room, remember, both of those are there. There's 11 guys who through their doubts, through their questions, through them putting their foot in their mouth plenty of times, they do believe he is the Messiah. And there's one guy in the room who says Satan had already infiltrated. And he had already given up on Jesus. And he had already betrayed Jesus. He had set those plans into motion. But Jesus doesn't skip Judas. And despite whatever you feel about Jesus, he will not skip serving you. See, Jesus, in this moment, he got off of his seat to serve Judas. But he got off of his throne to serve you. He got off of the floor to serve Judas. But he got on a cross to serve you. And he poured out water to cleanse Judas, but he poured out his blood to cleanse you. See, Jesus, he doesn't skip people because of their sins. He doesn't skip people because they betrayed him. Jesus loves to the end everyone. And that's how he calls us to love people too. And despite the most cringy awkwardness that's happening in this room, as he is taking shoes off, unstrapping leather sandals, and beginning to clean the muck and mire and feces off of these guys' feet, he begins to serve them. And friends, we have a God in Jesus who serves and will, again, willingly. Nothing, I, I don't need to read this all again, but if I did, you know one of the one things you wouldn't find in here Jesus doing? <sighs> you know how it is when your wife is mad at you and like she's loading the dishwasher, but she's doing it hard. Like she's like, she, like you don't hear any of that. Like Jesus isn't slamming the bowl down. He's not like cinching the towel down on his waist so that everybody flopping it out so that everybody can hear it and tying it around his waist. He's not doing any of that. You don't get any of that in the picture. He gets up quietly and willingly, pours the water, takes his stuff off, puts his stuff on, wraps it around his waist, and he goes to him. And that's how we've got to go too. He goes and he does it. They're confused, very confused in this moment. In verse 6 through 16, I want to walk you through what we see Jesus meet them with in the midst of their confusion. Let's read this. 
Verse 6. Okay, so all this is happening. This is kind of the moment. He's really started washing people's feet, and they're gasping. They are, like again, in an honor society, this is blowing them away. So he came to Simon Peter, which kind of implies that he had already got to somebody else. And again, Peter is just being Peter. Listen to what he says. Simon Peter said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? If, if him not already having washed other people's feet wasn't a clear indication that he was going to wash Peter's feet. Jesus simply, again, very patient with Peter, as he is with us, replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing. Which some of you guys right here, right now, that's your word that you need to hear. In your relationship with Jesus, you're going, God, why? Hear the voice of Jesus right here in this moment going, you do not realize what I'm now doing, but later you will understand. He says that to Peter. And I love Peter's response. Again, Peter's going to Peter. No, said Peter. Again, your day is never going to go well when you tell Jesus no. Just learn that from Peter. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Which is Jesus' kind of simple way of saying, unless I wash your feet, you're going to hell. And Peter goes, that doesn't sound like a good idea. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. He's basically saying, like, bring it on, like, just super soaker me. Come on, get it all. And Jesus answered, slow your roll, player. Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet, but their whole body is clean. And you, listen to this. And you are clean. Some of you felt dirty your whole life. Something's happened to you. And you felt dirty. And you can't get out of that. Sad reality is, as I've counseled people before and, and, and listened and tried to study ways to be able to help people, even in a room this size and the amount of people watching online right now, I'm going to tiptoe into something that's a, a painful subject. The amount of people who are here, just in a given size of this room, means there are multiple people who have been sexually abused. And as I've counseled, as I've studied, and I've listened to people who have, who have been abused, one of the main things that they struggle with and they wrestle with is they still feel unclean. So one of the reasons why you listen to anybody tell a story about rape or abuse, one of the very first things that they do is they go and take a shower. It's because they feel like they are filthy. And friends, what I need you to hear, the voice of Jesus saying to his disciple Peter, but also saying to you right there in this verse, you are clean. You are clean. The blood of Jesus is the most powerful cleansing agent in the entire world. And there is no sin that he cannot clean by his blood. Don't believe the lie that your stain has set too long and that he's incapable of cleaning it. He showed him here with water, but the next day he'll show him with his blood. And on the resurrection day, he shows him that that promise is one you can really trust in. When he's victorious over every sin, every abuse, every lie, Every person's body who's ever been taken advantage of, his body was laid bare, naked on a cross, whipped, beaten, and bloody, so that he could show the world that his blood was the only thing capable of cleansing. In verse 8, or skip down to verse 10 where we were at, 
So Jesus answered, those who have had a bath, they only need to wash their feet. Whole body's clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said not everyone was clean. Verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Again, there's not a whole lot of talking going on except for this little conversation between him and Peter. And then he asked this question. Do you understand what I've done for you? Which that's a loaded question. Do you understand what I've done for you? Verse 13. He said, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Verse 16. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. One more time. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed. Not if you have a good idea about them. Not if you think about them, you will be blessed if you do them. So again, this whole series has been about blessing people, receiving the blessing that God has given us, and then being used by God to be a blessing to other people. And he says, listen, if you want to be able to be one of the people out there who experience what a real blessed life is, not a blessed life that has sea-dews and gets to go on spring breaks to really cool places, if you really want to experience the blessing that it is to be on this earth in this short amount of time that we're alive, go and wash people's feet. Go and serve people. The whole world's going to tell you that if you really want to have this magnificent life, save, 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 do things that serve yourself so that you can build your own empire, so that you can have the fun that you want, you can have the sex that you want, you can have the relationship you want, you can have all the things that you want. And that's what will be the hashtag blessed life. Jesus flips that all on his head and says, look, me here with a towel around you, scrubbing feces and dirt out from between your toes, that's the blessed life. And the world goes, no. And many of you in this room, many of you watching online will go, no, that's not for me. And you'll miss out on the greatest blessing that you will ever experience of being one who has Jesus' life lived through you. I had a chance to experience this when I was in college. I had this random job of, uh, I don't even know what you call it. Like, it was this company who did marketing stuff for the Braves. And so they would give me like a packet of Brave tickets to go and like walk through like random areas, not houses, but like, uh, like strip malls and stuff like this, like this Target shopping center and stuff like that. And every now and then you'll see these people walking around. Usually they have like a tie on and a shirt, not a jacket because they're walking around out in Georgia heat trying to get people to buy Braves tickets. And so that was my job. And it was like straight commission. You, you only made money if you sold stuff. And so uh, it was one of the ones where you cash out after every day. And so I, I had a rough day. I don't know. They like sent me somewhere that was nobody wanted Braves tickets. I don't know if it was, I don't know why, whatever. So I, I didn't really leave. I think I left with like 20 bucks. It was enough, I think, that day to just buy my dinner on the way home. And so I go to McDonald's, um, and I'm getting ready to go eat there at McDonald's. And as I'm getting ready to walk in, there's a guy kind of sitting on the sidewalk there at McDonald's. And he, he didn't ask for money. <clears throat> he goes, hey, man, can I, can I get you to buy me some food? And again, I've got $20. And at that point in my life, um, I, was a, I was a college kid, and I was going to use at least 10 of that um, to eat my meal that night and, and probably 10 the next day to probably do the same thing. Um, and so I'd already kind of planned that out. I knew I had enough money to you know, eat a little bit. And I knew what it would mean if I bought him a meal. So I just said, yeah, man, what do you want? And he listed off a lot of stuff that wasn't on the dollar menu. Um, <laughs> so, so there was that. Um, 
So I go in, I order mine, I think I got most of his right, and I come back out. And I'd heard this message, I went to Atlanta Christian College or Point University, whatever you want to call it, and um, at chapel, somebody said something about like, when you do stuff that's good, make sure people know you're doing it in Jesus' name, and so I was trying to put that into practice. Um, and, and so I go to him, and I, don't, I think I got it wrong, like what I was actually supposed to say, or I don't know how I was doing it, but I was going to try to make that point to him that I was trying to do this in Jesus' name. And I said it maybe in a way that sounded a little more condescending than it needed to. And I went, hey, do you know who's giving this to you? And in that moment, I, I must have said it in a way that made it seem like I was some really important person. And again, I had a tie on and, and, and like a collared shirt, and maybe he thought that I was like a celebrity or, or some kind of businessman or whatever. And, and so I don't think he was getting that I was trying to Jesus juke him in that moment. And so I give this to him. I said, hey, do you know who's giving this to you right now? And, and he looks at me, and I, again, he didn't understand what was going on, I think. And he goes, are you Jeff Francoeur? <laughs> and... <laughs> If you don't know who Jeff Francoeur is, at that point in time, he was, you know, Braves outfielder, very famous, going to all-star games, you know, it, it just, and he's a local, you know, local guy from Parkview High School here in Georgia. And, uh, and I, was, I laughed a little bit, and I said, no, I wish. Uh, uh, I play baseball at Atlanta Christian, long shot. Um, and my, my baseball friends are laughing. Um, and, and, and again, he kind of kept going, and, and I said, no, I'm not Jeff Francoeur, and he didn't miss a beat. He said, you're a UFC fighter, aren't you? And... Um, because I had that bald head at that point in time in my life, I was back bald head mode, and I, I guess I looked like I could potentially been a UFC fighter. I said, no, man, I'm not a UFC fighter. I, I said, I want you to know who's giving this to you, though. Um, Jesus is giving this to you. And he, <laughs> he if, if he was bummed that I wasn't Jeff Rancor, and he was bummed that I wasn't a UFC fighter, you should have seen the look on his face when I told him I was Jesus. Um, and so that was... That was unique. Um, but I had to kind of, you know, un I, 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 try, I tried my best to explain that and go, listen, like, I'm not really Jesus. I, I'm doing this in Jesus' name. And he's in me, and he has given me so much, even the, the whatever I have right now. And he's, he's abundantly blessed me in my life, man. And so it's an honor to be able to serve, serve this to you and give this to you. But I want you to know, like, it wasn't me who gave this to you. It's Jesus giving this to you. And he loves you and he cares about you. And I mean, that was it. And I don't say that to brag on myself because, man, for every... There's, it's a problem in my life. And it's one of the places where I felt convicted on this. That when I tried to go through and prepare the sermon and dig out a story to talk to you guys, I had to go back to 2008. So pray for me. And... What I'm asking you to do is the same thing Jesus did in this story, is that when you serve, let people know why. And again, not that you're trying to pound your chest and, and to be this evangelist and everything else, but have that moment where you set it up to go, listen, I'm doing this because Jesus has served me. He's helped me, and I'm giving you this grass that's cut. I'm giving you this cup of coffee. I'm giving you this, you know, invite to, to switch uh, times with me so you can be off to go to your kid's baseball game and I'll work overtime to cover your shift. I'm giving you these things and I'm serving you in this way because my God, Jesus has served me in every way, ways unimaginable. And I'd love to tell you about them, but we're getting ahead of ourselves because that's the last S that share your story. But the way you serve people and the way you explain why you're serving them sets up the ball on the tee for you to be able to share the story about Jesus that will open the door for, I believe, their salvation to happen. I want to end today by sharing this simple thought that if you missed everything else, don't miss this.
Jesus wants to transform us by blessing us. That's how he wants to transform you. Not by educating you, not by, you know, getting you to follow a bunch of rules. He, this is what's so counterintuitive about our God. He wants to transform you by blessing you. That's crazy. He wants to transform you by blessing you. But that blessing will only transform us if we allow it to go through us. If it, that blessing just comes into you and sits in your driveway, sits in your wallet, sits in your bank account, sits on your couch, that blessing will not transform you. It will only transform you when it begins to go through you. So if you're not a words person, that still doesn't click with you. Maybe you're a math person. Let me give you an equation. Blessing plus serve equals transformation. Blessing minus serve equals stagnation. And so it's up to you. Do you want to be transformed or do you want to be stagnant? Do you want to be the sponge that sits on the windowsill and reeks? Or do you want to be the sponge that wrings itself out and washes the feet, metaphorically speaking, of those people around you? It's our choice. And my hope is that we would take the words of Jesus' brother to heart when he said in James 1.22, Do not merely listen to the sermon. Do not merely listen to the Bible verse. Do not merely listen to the radio. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. But do what it says. Friends, that's the bottom line. Do what it says. Serve people the way Jesus served you. We're going to, as the band comes back up and leads us in a time of, of worship again and communion, that's what I need you to see is happening. Through communion, we see Jesus taking off not just his outer garments and not just wrapping a towel on, but being stripped naked, whipped, beaten, and abused. And at this point, not pouring out water, but pouring out his blood so that those around him can not just experience a good new way of life, but can experience what it means to have an eternal, ratifying, amazing, life-changing relationship with him. And that's what he's inviting you into in these moments. As you break bread, as you drink of the cup, to remember that he has served you. Because it was at this meal, at the Passover meal, was where he proceeded to before they would celebrate and eat all the food. That's where he does this moment where he wraps all of this up. And so maybe before you sip and before you eat, you look down at those feet in front of you. The symbolic way of saying, Jesus, you have cleaned the dirtiest, filthiest parts of me. And it's only by your blood that that can happen and that the truth can be real, that that cleansing has taking hold and is not going anywhere. And you thank him for that. And you ask him to use you to serve others around you in the same way. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your love, mercy, and grace. And Father, I pray that you would awaken the hearts and minds and souls and lives of the people in this room, God, or the people watching online who are just now realizing that despite them receiving or believing, you are continuing to pour yourself out for them. I pray that that grace, that love, that that mercy leads them to a surrendered life with you. And that maybe, Jesus, they enter into the waters of baptism as a symbolic cleansing of their entire life to say that I and my old life, my old sins, my old addiction, my old way of thinking, all of those things are washed away and I'm standing before my Savior Jesus as a new creation. Ready to pour out my life like He poured out His. We love you, Jesus. Move in the hearts and minds. Let your gospel transform lives today. In your name, amen.